Welcome to this week's Lawnsport podcast. In this podcast, Lawnsport founder and CEO Sean Cottrell speaks to Adrienne Marine, a former Olympian and now a corporate commercial lawyer, about her transition from being an Olympic athlete to becoming a practicing lawyer. Adrienne, who is part of the WADA Athlete Committee, among other organizations, expresses that she views her current involvement in sport as a duty to represent the athletes. Having represented Canada in three Olympic Games, concluding with a silver medal in London, Adrienne provides unique insight into life after sport and how to continue playing an active role in the future of sport. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the founder and CEO of Law in Sport. I'm joined today by Adrienne Maureen um, from Canada, who's a former Olympic athlete and now a lawyer or a corporate commercial lawyer who also deals with uh, dispute resolution matters. Adrienne, um, thank you very much for um, joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. Adrienne, it's not often that uh, you see many Olympic athletes who are now practicing lawyers. Can you tell us how you managed, how you got into law and, and what type of work you're involved with? And it may be useful for those people who are not familiar, if you can give them background about how you've managed to fit that in with your um, very successful Olympic career. Um, yes, absolutely. So for me, I think my, my, um, the way I approached sport was always to keep um, academia and my schooling system um, uh, up to date and, and stay very involved. So uh, my first games were the Athens Games in 2004, and up until those, uh, until that final year of the of the games, I was enrolled in um, in economics at Princeton University in the U.S. And so I was juggling both academics and training at a very high level until about the the last year before the Olympics, where I took a leave of absence and uh, focused exclusively on on rowing, um, where I went back to my team in Canada and and integrated um, the rest of the crew uh, to make sure, you know, the synergies and the dynamic uh, team dynamics were, were up to, up, were tuned up. Um, but I think that's always been a little bit of my, of my approach to sport and to, and to uh, education. So for me, it, it kind of just went hand in hand that if I continued at a high level, I had to continue um, academia. And uh, after the Beijing games, I started my law degree. And I started my law degree in part because I had a fascination for um, uh, genetic testing and how um, American insurance companies were using the information that they were obtaining from their their clients or their patients or their 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 insurers um, to to stratify the risk. And I thought there was a big ethical dilemma in that and a sociology, a social one as well, where, you know, people may not want to share or know that information or or have sisters or twins that would uh, be um, affected by having that information um, disclosed. And so I, that's how I decided to go into law. And then, of course, I think just with the um, 12 years on the national team and um, for Canada, rowing at a, at a, you know, on the international level for many, many years, um, I developed a keen interest for doping, um, how that works, um, how how do the anti-doping agencies apply the World Anti-Doping Code? Um, I've been sitting now on the WADA Athletes Commission for um, close to six years, and um, 
who were part of the the group that provided uh, recommendations when the code the new code was ratified in 2015. So I think that's where now I I, I kind of am. You know, the arbitration um, matters, the doping matters, and uh, team selection. So. I, I do that a bit on the side, as you said. I am a corporate lawyer, but uh, I still that's my way of, of getting involved in the sports world right now. So there was a couple of things I want to pick up on there. But one, you were able to study and train at the same time, which um, I know is a challenge for many athletes around the world. In the UK, we've got a very good funding system now for elite sport. Um, but, but But there's, a, you know, I think across the board, generally, there's been a lot of criticism and all the stuff in the NCAA about how athletes are remunerated and and also how they're educated. How did that system work for you in Canada? Or and, and, and you... Um, so so yeah, so I was an NCAA athlete. That is correct. Um, and so when I was down there, I um, competed for my university team. Um, I competed for Princeton, and we rode. NCAA's, and as soon as the school year end would, uh, as soon as, as national or NCAA championships were up, were over, I would fly directly back to Canada and and either integrate or be selected back onto the team. Um, it wasn't always easy, and I did have to leave Princeton halfway through an academic year to qualify for um, the team in 2003. That would then be the team for the Olympics in 2004. So I've I've had to juggle that, but I think for me it was always, you know, the best the best case scenario. You want to have a plan B. I want to know that if my back blew, you know, tomorrow that I could, I had um, a career and and an education that I could rely on that would that would take me somewhere else. And then, so you seems that you were able to partition your, uh, which you you said earlier in the in the interview that you're able to successfully partition the sort of the athlete. Uh, I guess your your athlete persona as such and your student persona um, and interest and, and, and keep that separation and now as a practicing lawyer you've obviously got your stuff the stuff you do on the sports side and then your your corporate yeah. work that you're doing in both worlds did you find that that separation was was helpful and, has, and do you think that's given you a good grounding I, I do and I and I think for me you know I I really enjoy the work that I do um, as a corporate lawyer, and and you know I do mostly mergers and acquisitions. I do commercial contracts. I do uh, a little bit of infrastructure work as well, and I enjoy that day to day. You know the the files that I have and and the client relations, but I think when I get together with um, sports lawyers or when I I, I sit on the board of the, the Canadian Arbitration Group. And when I share with those people, I, I feel like I've got added value that is pretty unique. Um, very few of those organizations have uh, people that have the legal background and the athletic background or the, the sport background, the athlete background. And I think that perspective is uh, is very valuable around either a board table or a, a committee of sorts. So I get a little, I gain a lot of satisfaction and, and pleasure out of um, participating in those in those groups as well. I think this is excellent because you know as as you will know that we something we're particularly focusing on is trying to get more athletes involved, particularly in the legal side and the regulatory side of sport, because often it's, it seems very late that the athletes are involved. Um, well, I think some sports are much better than others at engaging with the athletes, um, and so so to have athletes who are professionally trained 
and they can draw on that experience I think is, is invaluable because not only can you draw on the experience but you could actually articulate um, hopefully in a, in a relatively objective manner given you know your professional standards um, and provide constructive feedback for them I'll be really and, and this is one of the areas actually where athletes commissions and uh, not only just Wilder's athlete commission but other athlete commissions come under a lot of um, focus and scrutiny do you feel that um, your input within the, the Wilder Athletes Commission um, or even on the, the you know the Canadian Dispute Resolution Centre that your opinion is counted and it is and there's there's um, measurable outcomes taken from your feedback and input yeah I certainly do I certainly do I think um, you know the the athlete voice is one that even in the last few months has taken um, a life of its own if you will I think there's been a lot the athlete voice has been really uh, loud and clear about how to deal with uh, doping and and state-sponsored doping and doping infractions. And I think, you know, we need to have individuals that are able to, to, to carry that message forward and to reassure the athletes and kind of the sport, the, the sport system and the integrity of the sport system as a whole. Um, I think uh, we've been important actors in, in, in shaping um, kind of the last few months and, and what has been decided of how to deal with Russia. And, and there's still a lot that's ongoing. And uh, I think the athlete's voice is one that's particularly important. Um, if I look also at the arbitration side, I sit on the board for the sport Canadian sport dispute resolution, but I also think that even internationally, there's really a need for, for more athletes to be on these arbitration panels to understand the, the, the perspective of the athletes that are being um, that are being tried and heard, and and uh, you know when it, whether it's selection, whether it's doping, whether it's uh, any of kind of the athlete issues, the, the issues that athletes face, um, knowing that you've got someone there that that understands your position is is very important. Well, it's interesting that um, over the last couple of weeks, and it's come up before. But a few people have been saying to me, I know that uh, Brendan Schwab at Uni Global Athletes, obviously, um, Uni World Athletes, sorry, um, who, you know, the selection of the various player associations and unions around the world, mm-hmm. you know, he's very critical about the lack of athlete inga- um, involvement in a, mm-hmm. the, the disciplinary process, whether it be, you know, uh, uh, CAS or the IOC or whoever. Um and one of the things that was discussed at one of the events I was at recently was whether or not there should be a a bit like we've got over here, which is um, you know a target of thirty percent women on boards. Whether or not there should be a target oh, yeah. a target for athlete representation on 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 either the governing body boards or on dispute resolution panels, um, which are, or dispute panels, which I thought was a really interesting concept. I'm not sure how well it would work in practice. What do you th- what are your sort of thoughts on that? Um, I have to say that's the first time I've heard it, but I think there's uh, there's some there's some good grounds for that. Um, I think you know if I look at how things are dealt with on the Canadian Olympic Committee, um, I'm a, I'm a very active athlete still with the Canadian Olympic Committee, whether it's on the nominating committee, on uh, the governance committee. Um, I sit on a lot of those committees to exactly do that. You know, provide athlete input. Um, you know, whether it's the bylaws, whether it's uh, the terms of reference for the Athletes Commission and our responsibilities and how we report to the board. So 
I think there's a certain amount, you know, when you look at these organizations, if I take the Canadian Olympic Committee, for example, um, their primary mission is to is to send as many Canadian athletes as we can to Olympic Games and have the greatest success possible. So having athlete input is fundamental to the purpose of the organization. And so I think there's, uh, you know, there's, there's definitely good reason to, to make sure that athletes are, or retired athletes maybe, um, to have those retired athletes as involved as possible as they can relate to what are the current um, athlete concerns and issues. Well, it seemed like an, an an obvious thing. I'm not sure if that's a um, something we've seen the you know in Canada. If that's something that's been a recent trend or has always been the case. But one of the challenges it appears um, globally, um, you know, is that some jurisdictions are, or some countries are much better at it than others. But it seems to make perfect sense to have one of your largest group of stakeholders, in fact, particularly at the Olympic level, that you care about the most, to actually have them yeah. involved in the process. It does seem <laughs> it does seem good business if you're looking at it from a business perspective. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, so is that a recent trend in Canada, or is that something that's all that's been there for some time now? No, it's been there for some time. It's definitely been there for some time. I think. Um, I've maybe gotten involved a little bit more recently just because I took, you know, I retired after the London games. Um, uh, and then that was when I kind of found a way to stay involved in the sporting community and, and, uh, and give back, if you will, to, to the Canadian Olympic committee and the sport dispute resolution and, and all these different organizations that I've, that I've always um, admired and been a part of. But I think it's difficult for an active athlete to, to be involved at that level, uh, just given the amount of um, time you need and, and traveling requirements uh, when you are a competing athlete. And I've got two questions from, from this. One being, how did you find out about the positions? Um, I'll be curious to know how you went about applying for them, if how proactive, because I'm sure um, you know, we've got you know, a number of athletes, elite athletes, either current or former, who are listeners and members. Um, but I'm sure many of our, my, our colleagues in the sector will know uh, a few who want to get into the legal sector or look for opportunities to be more involved in the governance. So it'd be great if you could just firstly just explain how how you came about um, those opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it started very slowly. Um, back in 2010, I had started my, my law degree, so I was a year and a half in. And then uh, a friend of mine um, that was a paddler, a kayaker, Adam Van Coverden, called me and said, oh, we need some help on the Athletes Commission to review our terms of reference. I know you're a law student. Um, are you interested in, in joining the, the Athletes Commission for the Canadian Olympic Committee? And so I said, sure. So I was first appointed to that committee, um, found it very uh, rewarding to be involved in this group and, and to to kind of share ideas and thoughts with winter, summer, uh, individual versus team athletes and, and kind of just discuss the issues that are, that athletes are facing and, and, you know, what recommendations we can make to the COC going forward for any Olympics. So that's how I started getting involved. Um, and then shortly after that, a position came up, uh, on the WADA athletes commission. Um, uh, there was a, an American tennis player, that was representing the North America who was stepping down and uh, we were looking, they were looking for either a Canadian or American summer athlete to replace um, uh, that tennis player. And I contacted 
Transport Canada and said that I was interested in the position and wanted to know, you know, if they would uh, support me. And of course they did. And um, so I had a letter from CCS, which is our national anti-doping agency, um, one from Sport Canada, and I think one from my federation as well, that uh, nominated me and put me forward. And uh, from there on in, it's kind of just snowballed. So I've I've gotten involved with the uh, Canadian Olympic Committee nominating committee, so selecting the members to the board, um, involved with the governance, so the review of the bylaws, uh, of of policies, of uh, articles of incorporation. Um, and then from there, I also was asked to join the board of directors for the Canadian Sport Dispute Resolution Group. Um, so it's it's kind of taken it's it's gone on its own a little bit, but I I think all of those have um, allowed me to explore an aspect of sports law that maybe I hadn't previously seen, and uh, I find it I find them all very challenging at times, but very rewarding uh, at the end of the year. So so other athletes listening now should should. Uh, and I would say the same thing applies to any aspiring sports lawyer as well as and you know many of the the, the, the some of the leading people around the world that, that we were involved with and who've spoken at our conferences or on or, on our, our previous uh, podcasts have all said that it's been a long journey and I can vouch for that as well um, from my involvement yeah. and it seems that um, for those athletes who think right Joe I'd love to get involved in the governance of sport I would love to get involved in some of these athletes commissions that they should would you say be one be proactive um and did you have to go to you know would it help to go to a number of events or meetings or how did you keep in contact with those with the people because one of the other problems that we see with elite athletes is once they've normally left the sport all too often they're almost cut off from the sport Mm -hmm. true um i've cut off from the sport of rowing if you are like i certainly don't row i don't I don't coach. I, I'm not a referee. I'm not, you know, I don't do any of these things anymore. Um, so that's that's certainly where I've cut my ties a little bit with sport. But in terms of governance and all that, I think for me, it, 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 the, it, it's kind of intersects with my day-to-day practice. And so for me, that's how I see it um, continuing. Of course, a lot of these, you know, all of these positions are, are volunteer based. So it's a matter of finding time and, and juggling it with your practice. That is, you know, your, your stream of revenue. You can't, you can't, uh, I can't not go to work for a certain amount of weeks a year and, and attend all the conferences I would like to attend across the world. But I think I, I pick and choose the ones that I, that I can make that I have the most impact in and, and, um, and as much as possible, I attend all these other conferences, uh, or meetings uh, via conference calls if I can attend. Um, one of the, the other things um, that I was thinking about is that it's great that you're doing this, and I think that you know many sports lawyers, um, not just former athletes, but many sports lawyers will recognise what you're saying as, as true to their practices as well, because you know there's not that much money in sport anyway. There's it, people think, seem to think there is. Uh, it's not to say that it's, it's a tiny sector, but it's not quite as 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 wealthy um, across the board as as people would assume, because they look at something like the yeah. NFL or the Premiership uh, rugby Premiership or Premier League football, and they think there's there's a ton of money, and then generally it's a few it's just in a few people's hands. Um, so you know, I think it's quite common to see people either having to do it on a pro bono basis or doing their spare time. Um, one of the things that I wanted to know was how 
having been on a trust, a tr been a trustee of a, an organisation before, and come up against some resistance uh, for my critical feedback, let's say constructive criticism, and how difficult that was as a trustee. I'd be curious to know from your position, but given that you've got this you know, M and A background as well, and you're used to doing all the due diligence and and being quite mm -hmm. thorough, how well received or how to what extent do you feel that you can provide constructive criticism uh, to the organisations that you work for? Or how or how much do you feel that you know it, that it politically you have to sort of play it out a little bit because people are a little mm. bit sensitive, um, which is something that you hear about a lot in in sport is that the, you know the politics sometimes overrides some of the the, um, yeah. the constructive feedback. Uh, that's a difficult one, and I think that. That's the, the the gray zone, if you will, in uh, in sports and sports law. Um, you realize that a lot happens over a cocktail behind the scenes of these conferences and and these uh, symposiums and and. Uh, but I I think when you come in when you come into these organizations only kind of wearing your your retired athlete hat. Um, you kind of allow yourself to be a bit more, a bit more direct and a bit more vocal than if you were someone that, um, that uh, was trying to work the system and, and gain an edge uh, to advance your, your career in that field. You know, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm here to do what the current athletes are unable to do. And uh, I take on that position with you know, I feel like I have a loyalty and a and a duty to to represent the athletes. So, um, of course, you have to tread carefully at times, but I also don't uh, I don't hold back if I feel it's uh, if it's necessary to to be more vocal. No, that's good. That's that's good to hear. And it's it, you do hear a lot when I do speak to you know particularly former athletes. They are generally quite vocal. I think partly because they're frustrated that. <laughs> over the years yeah. they, didn't have, they didn't have the opportunity when you you know when you're reliant on funding uh to get you to the games and selection processes it can be a little bit difficult to be uh outspoken uh, let's say about maybe that's about, the silver lining to having it to, ha to having all these pro bono positions <laughs> 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 no one can pull the plug on you <laughs> exactly um well thank thank you so much for um for taking the time out of your schedule to to chat, and it's it's amazing that you managed to fit it all in and go to how many Olympic games did you go to? Was it three Olympic games or I did three Olympics, yeah, two thousand four, wow. two thousand eight, and two thousand twelve, and finished off with a silver medal in London. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> not bad. Yeah, I, 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 I walked away at a good time. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. And and now you're you're a qualified lawyer, which is is equally as impressive. Well, more I said more impressive to get the silver medal. Um, but anyway. Um, yeah, it's fantastic that you... This career will last longer, though. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is true. Sadly, that's all we have time for for this show. I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, for all your latest sports law updates and information, you can go to lawandsport.com or follow us on Twitter at lawandsport, go to our YouTube channel, follow us on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also go to our website to sign up for our weekly email. Thanks again for tuning in.